And welcome back to episode 69 of the Word Encounter. Yesterday we concluded in 1 Kings, so we're going to pick it up in 2 Kings. And so um, we see that uh, in first, at the end of second, or 1 Kings that uh, Ahaziah has become uh, the king of, um, of the north of Israel after his father Ahab had died. And it says in chapter 1, After Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice uh, window of his upstairs room in Samaria, and he was injured. So he sent messengers instructing him, Go inquire of Beelzebub, uh, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from this injury. In verse 3, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go and meet the messengers of the king of uh, Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not get up from your sickbed. You will certainly die. Then Elijah left. And so Elijah meets the messengers and tells them, look, God is not down with what has just happened. So therefore, tell uh, Ahaz that he is gonna, he's going to die because uh, he's inquiring of a foreign God and not me. And so they go back and they tell Ahaziah this. And so the king asked him, you know, what sort of man came up to meet you? You know, in other words, who was this? And they replied, a hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. And so then uh, Ahaziah says, it's Elisha the Tishbite. So he, knew, he knows exactly who, the, who it was that gave this prophecy. So King Ahaziah sent a, a captain with 50 men to Elijah. When the captain went up to him, he was sitting on the top of the hill. He announced, man of God, the, the king declares, come down. <laughs> so they go up, Elijah's sitting up high. And so they said, look, the king says, come down. He wants to see you. In verse 10, Elijah responded to the captain, if, um, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. And so King Ahaziah says, okay, I'm going to send another captain and another 50 dudes. And so they come. And he says, come down immediately uh, when they get to Elijah. And Elijah says the same thing. Then divine, the word says divine fire came down and consumed them. And so then what does uh, Ahaziah does? He sends a third captain with 50 men, but this captain responded differently. He says, um, so he sent the third captain, and uh, the third captain went up and fell on his knees in front of Elijah and begged him, man of God, please let my life and the lives of these 50 uh, servants of yours be precious to you. Already fire has come down from heaven and consumed the first two captains with their companies, but this time let my life be precious to you. So he's pleading. He's coming in humility before Elijah. And then in verse 15, it says, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Don't be afraid of him. Uh, so he got up and went down with him to the king. And so uh, uh, then Elijah comes before the king and essentially tells Ahaziah, look, this is what you did wrong. I told you what was going to happen. And sure enough, in verse 17, it says, Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord that Elisha had spoken. Since he had no son, Joram became king in his place. So his son Joram becomes the king of uh, the North Territory, Israel now. In chapter 2, it says in verse 1, The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha, uh, we're traveling from Gilgal. So remember, Elisha is essentially uh, uh, the man that Elijah picked to be his successor. I don't know if Elisha knew this or not, but he was essentially Elijah's apprentice. And so he went everywhere Elijah went. And, and so Elijah's telling him, look, it's almost time for me to get up out of here. And so 
So he tells them, uh, come on, let's go to let's go to Bethel. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That's not what he says. He says, look, it's time for me to get out of here. I'm going to go to Bethel. You stay here. Uh, but Elisha says, uh, as the Lord lives and as you, uh, you, you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. So they get to Bethel. And then Elijah says, look, <clears throat> I need to go somewhere else. So he says, I need to go to Jericho. You stay here. But Elisha says, no, 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 no. <laughs> as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. So they get to Jericho. And Elijah says to Elijah, look, you stay here. I got to go to the Jordan River. And Elijah says, no, 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 no. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on to the river. And so in verse 8, it says, Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, which parted uh, to the right and left. Then the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Then they had, When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? So as he's going to these different cities and trying to get Elisha to stay behind, but Elisha's not having it, I'm wondering if that was kind of a test of Elisha. Elijah was seeing whether he was going to stick with him or not. I, I'm just guessing. I don't know, uh, but I'm wondering if that was the case. And if it was, Elisha passed the test. And so now Elijah is asking him, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken? And so Elisha answered, please let me inherit two shares of your spirit. So obviously, as they were going on their travels, Elisha had been witnessing a lot of what Elijah was doing. And I guess he wanted he wanted a piece of that. You know, he says, give me two shares of your spirit. In verse 10, Elijah re uh, replied, you had you have asked for something difficult. If you see me being taken from you, you will have it. If not, you won't. So why was this difficult? I don't know. Maybe maybe um, it's a burden uh, that Elijah knew that went along with two shares of his spirit that maybe Elisha didn't know. And maybe Elijah wasn't sure that uh, that he was ready to carry it or whatever. I don't know. But he told he tells him, look, you're going to have it if you witness me being taken. You're not going to have it if you don't witness me being taken. In verse 11. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up into heaven in the whirlwind. As Elisha watched, he kept crying out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And so he did witness Elisha, Elijah being taken away. So obviously he now has two shares of his spirit. When he could see him no longer, he took hold of his own clothes, tore them in two, picked up the mantle that had fallen off of Elijah. And so the mantle is a piece of clothing. And as Elijah was being taken away, apparently it fell to the ground. And so Elisha went to pick it up and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle Elijah had dropped and he struck the water. Uh, where is the Lord God of Elijah, he asked. And so he took the same thing that Elijah had. He rolled it up. He struck the ground. He says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And so if I have these two shares, where is he? He struck the water himself, and it parted to the right and the left, and Elisha crossed over. In verse 15, when the sons of the prophets from Jericho who were, stand, who were observing saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed down to the ground in front of him. So they had witnessed Elijah strike the water with the mantle in the water's part. And they see Elisha coming back and he does the same thing in the water's part. And so now uh, the prophets that witnessed this, 
knew that the mantle of Elijah had been had been passed on to um, to Elisha. And so he was now, that's kind of a coronation, I guess, of him now being the head prophet, I would assume, or something along that line. And so let's go on to chapter 3. In verse 1, it says, uh, Joram, son of Ahab, uh, became king over Israel in Samaria during the 18th year of, of Judah's king Jehoshaphat, and he reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not like his father and mother. So we see that Joram, who is the son of Ahab and Jezebel, he continues on their path, but he's not as bad as them. Okay, <laughs> He's not as bad as they are. And so this is kind of the end that we see of the descent of kings. Remember, the word kept saying that this king was worse than all the other previous ones, and the next one will come in line. And they said this one was worse than all the other ones. Well, at least here, it seems like that's turning around. And it says that... Um, that King Joram wasn't as bad as his parents. <clears throat> For he removed the sacred pillar of Baal his father had made. So he removed the sacred pillar of an of a idol. And so that's a good thing, right? But it says in verse 3, Nevertheless, Joram clung, um, clung to the sins that uh, J uh, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. And so he removed one sin, but he let the others remain. And this is... Uh, this is kind of the what we do as people, right? I mean, we remove certain things, but we keep other things in our lives. Now, sometimes we're ignorant of them and we don't know, but other times we're making a conscious decision. We don't like that sin. I'm going to get rid of this sin, that sin, but this sin I kind of like, so I'm going to let this one hang around. <clears throat> so it's kind of a cautionary tale. In verse 4, King Misha of Moab was a sheep breeder. He used to pay the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. <clears throat> but when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And so uh, Misha, the king of uh, Moab, used to pay tribute to Israel. But when Ahab died, I guess he assumed that, okay, Israel's weak now, so I'm not going to pay King Jerem. I'm done paying tribute. And so King Jerem, uh, Jerem marched out uh, of Samaria so that he could confront Moab, but before he did, in verse 7 it says, uh, he sent a message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? So he's asking for assistance. And Jehoshaphat says, well, of course, you know, your people are, are my people, my horses are your horses, you know, so yes, brother, I will come help you. So he says, well, which way should we go? And she so said, well, let's go by the way of Edom. And so then the king of Edom joins them as they're going to confront Moab. In verse 9, so the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom set out. After they had traveled their uh, indirect route for seven days, they had no water for the army or animals with them. Uh, verse 10, then the king of Israel said, oh no, the Lord has summoned these three kings only to hand them over to Moab. So they go out for a week and they have nothing to drink for themselves or for their animals. And then, um, and, and so Joram is, is thinking, oh no, this is a trap. The Lord is leading us into the trap to hand us over to Moab. Uh, verse 11, but Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet uh, of the Lord here? Let's inquire of the Lord through him. So Jehoshaphat isn't buying it. He said, wait a minute, let, let's inquire of the Lord to see what the deal is. So one of the servants tells him, yes, there's a prophet around in these territories. His name is Elisha. And so then the three kings go and visit Ho, um, uh, Elisha. And it says in verse 13, however, Elisha said to King Joram of Israel, what do we have in common? Uh, go to the prophets of your father and your mother. <laughs> and so in other words, he's telling him, he recognizes, wait a minute, 
your, your, your mother and father had these 400 prophets and this, that, and other. They always turned away from prophets of the Lord. Why are you here? You know? And so it says, um, but the king of Israel replied, no, because, uh, because, it, because it is the Lord who has summoned these three kings to hand them over to Moab. So uh, again, we see that Jerome is still thinking that the, the Lord has called these three kings together so he can hand them over to Moab. So I'm going to come to you, a prophet of the Lord, not to the other prophets. In verse 14, Elisha responded, by the life of the Lord of armies uh, before whom I stand, if I did not have respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah, I wouldn't look at you. I would not take notice of you. And so we see that, you know, obviously uh, Elisha has been with Elijah as he has had his confrontations with Ahab. And so he's well aware of the history here. And he's saying, look, if not for King Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even deal with you. And then he says, now bring me a musician, a musician. Now bring me a musician. While the musician played, the Lord's hand came on Elisha. Now, this is interesting to me, at least, because music has always ministered to me. And so we see here that uh, in the word, it's supported that music, you know, minister, it can minister from the Lord. Because if you recall, Saul would always reach for David. And so David could come and play his heart, his harp when Saul was being tormented. And, and so uh, the harp would minister to Saul and calm him down. And we see here in a similar but different context that Elisha is calling for a musician so that he can play, so that he can hear the voice of the Lord and then communicate what the Lord tells him to the three kings. And so that is what happens. <clears throat> and so this is what the Lord tells Elisha to tell them. Uh, dig ditch after ditch in this wadi. Now, a wadi is a dry piece of you know ditch, land, whatever. It's dry in the non-rainy seasons. In the rainy seasons, it fills with water and becomes like a brook or a stream or whatever. But at other times, it's dry. And so this was during the dry season. But he's telling them to dig a ditch. <clears throat> in verse four, uh, 17, for the Lord says, you will not see wind or rain, but the wadi will be filled with water and you will drink. In other words, this is in this out of season time, you won't see any wind or rain, but I'm going to fill this ditch with water so that you can drink. And that's exactly what happened. It says in verse 20, uh, about the time for the grain offering the next morning, suddenly uh, water suddenly came from the direction of Edom and filled the land. And so the Lord is giving them water to drink. And so this is coming against what Jor uh, King Joram is thinking with regard to the three kings being led to the slaughter to be handed over to Moab. But the Lord is taking care of their needs. So obviously that's not the case. And it says in verse 24, the Moabites... Um, came out to Israel's camp, the Israelites uh, attacked them and they fled from them. So Israel went into the land attacking the Moabites. They would destroy the cities and each, uh, each of them would throw a stone to cover every good piece of land. And so uh, the Moabites came out, the Israelites went out and met them, not only defeated the army, but went in and started destroying their cities. <clears throat> and in verse 26, when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took several hundred swordsmen with him to try and break through to the king of Edom, but he could not do it. So they, they were, you know, surrounding the city. So he's trying to break the lines in order to get through and he couldn't do it. In verse 27, so he, he does something detestable. So he took his firstborn son who was to become king in his place and offered him as a burnt offering on the city wall. Great wrath was on the Israelites and they withdrew from him and returned to their land. 
And so the king of Moab saw that he was going to be defeated. He became desperate, took his eldest son, put him on the wall and sacrificed him in front of everybody as a witness. And the word says great wrath was on Israel because of this. And so they went back home. Now, why did great wrath come on Israel? Because the king of Moab sacrificed his son. Short answer, I don't know. You know, but it says very specifically, um, Great wrath was on Israel. It didn't say anything about the men of Judah. It didn't say anything about the men of Edom. It just said the men of Israel or, or uh, was on Israel. So I don't know what the reason is. I read some commentaries and, and it seems like nobody really knows why wrath came on the Israelites. But the bottom line is they went back home after the king of Moab had done this. And so uh, chapter four basically is a, is a testimony to uh, Elisha's exploits. I shouldn't really say exploits, but his, his, his doings. And it seems to me they just kind of cover what the job, if you will, of a, of a prophet, a head prophet was in the community as he went about the business of ministering to the people. And so in, in, um, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, One of the wives of the son of the prophets cried out to Elisha, and she says, You know, my husband has died, and the creditor, I've got two sons, and the creditor is going to come and take my house. You know, what should I do? And so Elijah says, well, what do you have in the house? He says, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And that's all I got. In verse 3, then Elisha says to her, go out and borrow empty containers from all your neighbors. Do not, get, um, do not get just a few. Then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all these containers. Set the full ones to one side. And so that's what she did. She left. She went with her sons, collected all of these containers, empty containers, brought them back in the house and started filling them with oil because he told her that this will never run dry. And so she filled all the containers with this one jar of oil. And then he told her, now look, go out and sell these jars of oil. And that's what she did. And she was able to sell her house. And so if you notice here, Elisha didn't give her anything. He gave her a strategy. Or I should say, he didn't give her anything except a strategy. And so she executed that strategy and she was able to save her house. And so he didn't give her a handout or anything like that. He was just said, look, this is what you're, do, what you're to do, do it. How many times has this happened with us, but we don't actually go do it. We just sit back and don't do anything. And so that's not what she did. Then there's the case of the Shunammite woman. And it says in verse 8, uh, one day Elijah went to Shunem, a prominent woman who lived there uh, persuaded him to eat some food. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat. He says, a prominent woman, not, you know, this is a woman of, of high esteem in that community. And he, he, he comes, apparently this is a road that he travels a lot and he would stop and eat. So then she uh, tells her husband, look, let's set up a room for him in our house and let's put a bed, a table, a chair in there and a lamp. And so that he can stay, you know, if he becomes tired in his travels. And so that's what they do. So he sets up um, a room for him. And so he was very, very uh, touched and gracious um, with this, uh, with this uh, act of generosity. So he, he tells his assistant, uh, Gehazi, you know, inquire of this woman, what can we do for her? And she says, well, I don't need anything. And, but, but Gehazi tells him, look, he says, she doesn't have any kids. She doesn't have a son. So Elisha tells her, next time this year, you're going to have a son. And she tells me, look, don't tell me this. Don't lead me on. Don't get my hopes up. And he says, no, no, no. This is what's going to happen. And so uh, next year at that time, that's exactly what happened. She had a son. And so as the boy grew, one day he was out with his father in the fields, and he was complaining about his head hurting. He said, my head, my head. So he takes him back to the house, and the boy ends up dying. And so... <clears throat> 
he uh, the mother, you know, obviously witnesses this. She takes him up to his room, puts him, uh, lays him on his bed, and then goes and saddles a, a donkey and goes to Elisha. So she gets to Elisha, and she tells him what, what's happening. You know, Why did you give me this son? You know, this is what's happening. So she's distraught. And so uh, Elisha sends Gehazi, sends him back to the house, and they and Elisha and the woman are also going back to the house, but he sends Gehazi ahead of them to lay his staff over the boy and to see if he recovers. And so Gehazi, Gehazi does this, but the boy doesn't recover. So he comes back, meets them on the way to the house, and essentially tells them, no, it didn't work. So they get to the house, and then uh, Elisha goes up to the room where the boy is. And he says in verse 32 in chapter 4, when Elisha got to the house, he discovered the boy lying dead on his bed. So he went in, closed the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Uh, then he went up and lay on the boy. He put mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. Uh, when he bent down over him, the boy's flesh became warm. Elisha got up and went into the house and paced back and forth. And so the boy was recovering, but he still wasn't alive. So I can imagine Elisha going back and forth, maybe gathering more strength. I don't know. Then it says, then he went up and bent down over him again. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. In verse 36, Elisha called Gehazi and said, call the Shunanite woman. Uh, he called her and she came. Then Elisha said, pick up your son. She, uh, she came, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. She picked up her son and left. And then uh, one of the last things uh, that the word chronicles that he did is kind of a forerunner. Uh, uh, to what Jesus did when he fed the 5,000. It says, uh, a man uh, came to the man of God with a sack full of 20 loaves of barley bread, uh, the first bread of the harvest. Elijah said, give it to the people to eat. So a man came, he had 20 loaves of bread. Elijah said, gives it to the people to eat. Verse 43, but Elisha's assistant asked, what? Am I to set this before 100 men? He says, you got 20 loaves of bread there, 100 men. Are you Are you crazy? And then Elisha said, uh, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and they will have some left over. So he set it before them, and as the Lord had promised, they ate and had some left over. So we see that, that as Elisha is going about his business, he's just uh, going about, it seems like, the daily doings of a prophet and how he is to minister to the community. And so he's meeting the needs of the people, and that is exactly what we should be doing. And so with that, we'll continue on with chapter five tomorrow. Bye-bye.